There are Jews in the world. There are Buddhists. There are Hindus and Mormons and then there are those that follow Mohammed's but I've never been one of them. How's your faith these days, Father? So big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. Good times, my friends. Hello. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if this isn't, welcome back. I'm glad you're here. And I certainly hope I earn your subscription today, whether you're new, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're elderly, whether you're anything. Welcome to the 17th Sunday after Pentecost. It gives me pause to reason why the heck we just don't call it normal time. Or, yeah, normal time, standard time, something like that. Uh, used to be that's what it's called. It's called normal time. Um in the Episcopal Church, because it's a time between the Pentecost and between the other stuff. October's right around the corner, All Saints Day is coming up, which is the day after Halloween. It's going to be fun. It's also going to be my first day out of Las Vegas, because I'm moving. And it kind of brings me, I don't know, some weirdness. Anyway, if you want to hear me live preach, I'm going to be preaching that Sunday uh, October 30th at my church All Saints Episcopal Church in Las Vegas, Nevada uh, you can catch them online on their Facebook page I will put all the links down below please join in, please watch it should be interesting I don't even know what I'm preaching on yet because I'm not sure what the day is going to hold for me but besides the point let's get down to today today's gospel is from Luke of course because that's where we're in it's the 17th chapter, verses 5 through 10. And I have to admit, I had to delete a whole section of this. And it got condensed down from, ah, oh God, it was going to be like 45 minutes long. Because I thought it was Luke 17, 1 through 10. And 1 through 5 has a lot of stuff in it that really brings about why what's happening in the gospel is happening. But we're just going with 5 through 10. We're going to talk about faith. Let's hear the gospel and we'll flow right in. No break. Right into what I got to say about it, okay? Here we go. Here's the gospel. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could see, say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave, who had just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once, take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? Put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later you may eat or drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have only done what we ought to have done. And that's the lesson. So, 
we have to look at this from perspectives, you know, because the angle in which we view things makes a big difference. Lord Chesterfield of the 17th century once pointed out that a horse looks very much like a horse when viewed from ground level, but when you climb up in the loft and look down on the horse from the top, it looks a good deal like a violin. That, percept that perspective is the difference. And it's not unusual in the Gospels for the same story to be told by two different authors from two different perspectives. I've talked about this a little bit before, how Mark was like the first generation. Then Matthew and Luke came in, added some of the stuff from the Council of Jerusalem's Gospel, the Secret Sayings Q Gospel, and blended it together. They gave a new perspective. And maybe I'll do an extra little thing for my subscribers to explain that a little bit more. But for now, let's talk about how it can provide us a richer interpretation. For example, in Matthew's Gospel, we read about the time the Gospels failed in an attempt, the disciples, I'm sorry, failed in an attempt to heal an epileptic youth. When they asked Jesus why they had failed, he said it was their lack of faith. Then he added, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. That's Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 through 21, if you really want to look it up. So that story makes us hungry though, doesn't it? I want that kind of faith. Now if you compare it to Luke, Matthew to Luke, the disciples request, request of Jesus, increase our faith. Now we can sympathize with that request. Who has not cried out like that old man of old? I believe, help thou my unbelief. But notice Jesus' response to the disciples. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Notice the similar words are in, the, are in Matthew and Luke, but there's a difference. This time, Jesus begins the discourse on the importance of being an obedient servant. In other words, he seems to be saying to his disciples that their problem is not a lack of faith, because just a tiny bit of faith will work wonders. The problem is their lack of action. If they were doing that and doing what they ought to be doing, they would see the results they are seeking. Do you see the difference of emphasis? In Luke's account, Jesus is saying that it is deadly to sit around twiddling our thumbs, asking that God give us more faith so we will do the things that need to be done. Instead, we start going, with what we know we ought to be doing and then watch our faith grow due to our faithfulness. Because faith is a gift from God. That is an important theological truth that many Christians do not understand. You probably think that your faith is something you earned by your superior intellectual or spiritual endeavor. Well, you're fucking wrong. Such faith breeds pride, even arrogance, and you see it all the time everywhere with all the people who need to be rebuked and told, hey, Christ is over here, bud. Or maybe you think that if faith is not something you arrived at on your own, it must be the proper reward for your parents' attentiveness to your spiritual needs. Again, hate to tell you this, you're wrong, because God has no grandchildren. We are all grateful for Christian parents and teachers who have nurtured us. But if our faith is merely blind acceptance of what we had been taught, 
We could just have easily been atheists or pagans if our parents had been. Go home, study Romans 12 verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than one ought to think, but to think of sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. Did you get that? The faith which God has assigned him. Our faith is a gift from God. Doesn't that mean we already possess all the faith that we need? And if at a later time we need more faith, he will gladly give us more. St. Paul was most committed follower of Jesus Christ who ever lived. Still, he did not have enough faith to have his thorn in the flesh removed. However, God did give him the grace to endure that thorn. Still, both faith and grace are gifts from God. The problem is not our lack of faith. God has given us all the faith we need. And it brings us to the second thing that needs to be said. It is the nature of faith to expand to fit our needs. Because faith is a gift. It's not something we earn. God will never put us in a position where we do not have enough faith to triumph. Whatever we lack, He will supply. And that's always been true for God's people. In the year 1660, John Bunyan was thrown into jail for preaching an unpopular gospel. For 12 years, he lingered there, entirely cut off from the rest of the world, except for his family and a few friends who visited him. Yet, if John Bunyan were here to testify this morning, he, he would say that this was a time of deepening faith. Why? Because God gave him faith equal to his needs. During his second imprisonment, Bunyan wrote one of the most influential books ever written, the spiritual classic Pilgrim's Progress. Could Bunyan have written this deep and meaningful classic without his prison experience? I don't think so. But we know it is a clear spiritual principle that God increases our faith according to our needs. People live only surface lives, facing no significant challenges, following no great purpose, and carrying no significant burdens before our burdens never become deeply rooted in the grace of God. They need no great faith, and thus they never know a great faith. It is the nature of faith to expand to fit our needs. And there is always enough. We draw upon an inexhaustible source when we draw from God's well of faith. Now John D. Rockefeller was one of the most wealthiest people who had ever lived. There was probably nothing in the material value of this world that John D. Rockefeller could not provide for his children. But did you know that he had a daughter who became obsessed with the fear that she would die penniless? Her years were haunted by the fear that she would die destitute. Can you imagine such a thing as a Rockefeller worried sick about money? Can you imagine a child of God worried sick that he will go to God's well for spiritual resources in a time of need? and find that well dry? God's resources are inexhaustible. I mean, he invented it all. So did you know that there are even churches that never venture out or do great works for God because they fear God may let them down? I find it unbelievable. Our faith is a gift from God. He gives us faith according to our needs. The greater the need, the greater the faith. And this brings to the final thing that needs to be said. The central problem in our lives is not a lack of faith, but we do not put the faith we have into action. 
We've seen the very between two extremes. One of us is experiencing, some of us are experiencing the paralysis of analysis. We remain immobile until God gives us some sign that he is real and in control. Don't just do something. Sit there is that philosophy. And it's so impressive how many genuinely passive Christians there are in this world. Two thirds don't even bother to roll out of bed on an average Sunday morning. Most are decent law abiding folks, but no one could accuse them of being spiritual workaholics. Then there were a few blessed saints on the opposite extreme. They have a great deal of anxiety that they're not doing something constructive every moment of every day. Our Japanese friends seem to have an ethic built into their way of life. We're told that whenever you ask a Japanese how he's doing, he will always reply, Oh, I'm quite busy. Even if he has nothing to do, his response is the same. This is because rest and relaxation in the Japanese culture are almost a sin. So many people stay busy with activities of little importance. There's a lot of us like that. We're ready to jump into action at a moment's notice, not because our faith compels us, but because we are uncomfortable sitting still. The newspapers carried an interesting story a while back about a protest movement by students from Cabrillo College in Santa Cruz, California. And like many movements emanating from California, this was a crusade with a difference. The protesting students carried blank signs and blank leaflets. The guy who organized the protest said that the protests had become so common that no one reads the signs or leaflets. His small group was protesting the meaninglessness of most protests. His was a protest against protests. Two extremes passivity and mindless activity and neither is the way to the cross the supreme need of our lives is to involve ourselves in meaningful service to God and humanity and we desperately need to be driven by a great cause now I'm going to admit I read too much but I actually heard about this and then you know was given a copy but the October 5th, 1988 issue of Christian Century carried a story about a couple who have found a meaningful way of expressing their faith. Now, I was seven, so obviously I wasn't around reading Christian Century. But listen to this story anyway. Millard Fuller was a successful lawyer, but he was very dissatisfied. He had it all. He decided he had a virtually nothing. So one day he decided to do something about it. He and Linda's wife walked out of the law practice, sold all their possessions, gave the money to the poor, and joined Clarence Jordan at Colonna Farms, which was a Christian community outside of America's Georgia. Together with other community Christians, they searched for a focus for their lives that would have meaning. Eventually, they established an organization that's come to be called Habitat for Humanity. I know you've heard of them. President Carter has worked with them pounding nails so long, we can't believe he's still doing it in his 90s. In Miller Fuller's words, 
The fantastic idea is simply that all God's people ought to have simple, decent, affordable housing. So they work with others. Find some poor, decent folk who are willing to work to better their situations. And they work with them to build a simple, decent house to live in. And when they're done, these folks have a house at an affordable cost. Habitat for Humanity is a remarkable impact all over this country. It's miraculous how many homes, hundreds of homes, hundreds, maybe even thousands of homes are being built for families who need and deserve such housing because this couple put their faith into action. The result has been nothing short of miraculous. It's comparable to the saying to a tree, be cast into the sea. And a moment later, there's nothing but a hole in the ground. So do you see? The problem is not a lack of faith. The problem is our lack of action. We need to give feet to our convictions. Then we'll see miracles galore. When we understand this principle, the words of Albert Schweitzer take on a very new meaning for us. Schweitzer spoke at a graduating class in English Boys in 1935. He said, quote, I do not know what destiny will be. Some of you perhaps occupy remarkable positions in the future. Perhaps some of you will become famous for your pens or as artists. But I know one thing. The only ones among you who will really be happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Those words are valid. Mark them down. Got it? Good. The unhappiness in our lives does not come from our lack of faith. It comes from our lack of service. Do you see a new dimension to Jesus' teaching about having the faith of a grain of a mustard seed? It doesn't take a lot of faith to perform miracles. Even the tiniest bit of faith will do. What matters is that we put the faith we have to work. Later, if we need still more faith, God will supply it. When we commit ourselves and our lives in service to God and humanity, we'll see our faith grow from a tiny seed to an enormous tree. And we witness miracles that we never thought could occur. Increase your faith. Increase your service. Because like the disciples begged Jesus to increase their faith. That was Jesus' answer. Increase your service, he replied, and you will find faith you never knew you had. So once again, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. I hope it gives you something to think about. Feel free to leave me a comment or find me and message me on Facebook. Uh, find me playing on Tuesdays and Fridays on Twitch. Um... I'm working on building a YouTube page. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but hey, it could happen. And finally, I'm on TikTok. I haven't been making much content for there because, ooh, so exhausted from everything else. Anyway, I love you all, and I hope you love each other. Take care. I'll see you next week. And don't forget to rate me on Spotify. Subscribe. Enjoy. Help me get out of this sin city. Peace and love always. And remember, everyone's welcome. Jesus, ducking Christ.